0: Quick content warning here. This episode of The Outpost contains descriptions of ways someone could die. The context is playful, but if this is a subject you'd like to avoid, we recommend skipping the segment between minutes 13 and 17. We care about you, and thanks for listening.
1: Because I found what, I, what lo- sure looked like a tracking device in my hair. It's on my desk. What? <laughs> you found a tracking device in your hair? Yeah, it's over on my desk.
2: hello everyone and welcome to the outpost a podcast about inspired thinking what inspired you to be here i don't know you wanted to see our faces you wanted to hear our voices who is it today we've got krista we've got mark we've got jared We've got me it's so good to have you all here mark how are you doing today what what color are you feeling today and don't just say orange because it's your favorite
0: kind of a prismatic you know yeah I'm just kind of represent. What's the other yeah, word? I'm more of a non-answer. Yeah. <laughs> 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 prismatic. You're you know. prismatic. Okay. And opalescent.
2: That's the one I was going for. Opalescent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, let's start off with some community questions. So, Jared, you got the first one for us?
3: I do. Jonathan writes, "What was an obstacle that you encountered and overcame in your early career?"
2: Thank you, John. They didn't say
3: overcame that I they they just asked obstacles you wrestled with.
2: <laughs> okay. Nice edit there yeah. from you. Okay. Um, I'll go first. One of the one of the biggest obstacles I think I wrestled with as a, a solopreneur starting my own business was talking about money. Like, why was that so hard? I would do stuff for free. I would do extra stuff for free just so that I didn't have to talk about okay, that's going to cost you another $50. Like, it was, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't for a long time, probably years. I would do extra stuff for free because I was just too scared to bring up money. It was easier to keep my momentum was than that, to stop it.
3: Was that like a hesitancy because you didn't want the like social friction of asking? Or did you have like a kind of imposter syndrome where you weren't sure if your services were worth the money that you wanted to ask
2: for? I think A. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, I always know I have a high value Right, but it's the conflict piece I, j- I would just rather keep moving than have to slow something I st- I think I still struggle with that sometimes it's a little
0: pleaser mentality I, yes. have it, I, ha- I have it too and it was really bad early on for me as well
2: mm-hmm. I think I still struggle with it a little bit anytime it's time for a rate increase I like have to kind of put on my shell and my armor and be like here's the history we've shared together <laughs> and here's
1: where I'd like to go you want to come with me? and the me. king requires more <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I just like the image of putting on your shell. Yes, like a little tortoise shell. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or <laughs>
3: you know, a crab. You know, leatherback sea turtles are the oldest. No. The ones without shells. So, <gasps> so turtles started on the planet without shells, and then and then
0: got them later.
2: Wow, interesting.
0: Yeah. I prefer exoskeleton.
2: Hmm. Just put on your exoskeleton and slough it off when you get home. No, it takes I don't itself know about off. it. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know about like that snufflepagus.
2: Okay, what about you, Mark? Early in your career, what kind of obstacles did you wrestle with?
0: I think in the arts and in the design world, you're just bad for a while. For a long time. You're <laughs> your just not skill. good. Because you look at the things in the world and you're like, I want to be that. <laughs> but i'm i'm this mm-hmm. and it's it it really is kind of hard because you're trying to also early in your career you're trying to project professionalism and skill and talent you don't really have it all yet and you're kind of like faking it till you make it and that really that really kind of can rack on your on your ego mm-hmm. and a little bit on your confidence and you're just bad for a long time until you're not anymore. Mm-hmm. And you just have to just kind of suck that up. And you don't know that at the time. So I think for a long time, plus I'm a late bloomer and it takes me a long time to learn things. I learned them well, but I learned them the long way. Mm-hmm. And I just was bad for a long time. I look back and, and think, man, that was just like, why did people pay me <laughs> for that stuff? Did you know it Because you had the confidence. <laughs> it's co- I do not I did faked though. the confidence. I faked it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I do, but it's different. Mm-hmm.
2: Jared, I would say, tell me if if you think I'm wrong. You're you are early in your career. Def. So like, what obstacles are you struggling with now? What in I'm your currently early
3: career? what I'm currently struggling with. Yeah, that was gonna have that was gonna be the way that I would have to reframe the question. Uh-huh. Um, I'd say that my my primary obstacle of the the, the couple that really plagued me is procrastination. Mm-hmm. In that, like, I will th- this this horrible cycle happens where. During the brainstorming phase, I go so big and think about how cool I could make it if I had a couple decades to work on it, and then like the <laughs> the the thought process of actually getting started becomes super intimidating all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and so then I will uh, like delay just the start of the project for like a small amount of time, uh, and that. Then once I actually get started all of a sudden the the whole the the whole thing is put into a, an actually possible perspective yes. and mm-hmm. I'm so much less scared the moment I actually sit down to start working on it but the whole process leading up to me sitting down in the chair I'm like worried that I won't be able to perform to have yes. the ideas the problem solving skills the the creativity to come up with this unique mechanic to solve this problem that I just created for myself
2: It's interesting because <clears throat> Over time, because I feel like I share that, too. And over time, I've just come to understand that that every time I sit down in the chair, I do solve the problem. And so that fear has lessened some over time Mm -hmm. when I have the confidence that even though I felt scared every time when I sat down in the chair, I was still able to accomplish what it was. So will come.
3: Yeah, just mm-hmm. need to keep keep racking up the successes. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, forgetting the failures. <laughs> <laughs> learning from them. Uh, yes, learning from uh-huh. them, of course. We would never they're, want to forget our failures. They're
0: necessary, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. yes. I remember every one of all of your failures. <laughs> <Kevin> <laughs> I don't think you know all <laughs> of them. <laughs> yes. Not all of them. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> um, Krista, what about you? Early in your career, what kind of? obstacles have you wrestled with?
1: Yeah, I'm also pretty early in my career. And I think one thing that I'm wrestling with currently is that I have this history of just like perfectionism and wanting to just deliver like a shining result. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I come up against is the time limits and so there's a certain thing needed and there's not time to give this perfect shining result and how do i strike that balance between wanting to create something that is is wonderful that has all the the heart and and the substance that i want to put in it but fast enough that it is practical and can actually meet the the schedule i feel like sometimes i i do that. And then I'm, I'm not going like, Oh, I could have made it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I do make it a little bit better. And then I was like, Oh, I spent too much time on it. So I'm still kind of treading that balance and trying to find that, which I mean, perhaps the answer of that is just as I develop more skill, I'll just get faster and then I can yeah. do both. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just a time thing. But
2: one question I was thinking when you're talking about that is who determines whether it's shining? Is that something that comes out of you? Is it something that comes out of other people's reactions mm. to your
1: work? I think yeah, it mostly comes down to me like I can I can feel when it is something that feels good to me like mm-hmm. it f- feels like a, a representation of what I want to bring to it. But mm-hmm. then also you there's just like a look in somebody's eye when they see something mm. that resonates with them that like it's more than just oh this is you know, good, this is, like, I, I, I like this. It's, like, it it shows them something.
3: It, I mean, it's a lot bigger than that. In the office, when you show us one of your new, like, pieces <laughs> that we've never seen before, we're often, like, leaping out of our chairs. Be like, what? Know, oh, my I'm goodness. This is exactly what I was envisioning. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. So cool. Oh, my God.
2: She's, like, a look in their eye. <laughs> yeah, I
3: just get this vibe that
0: they like it. <laughs> and so that sets a standard now. Like, you mm-hmm. want that every time, mm-hmm. right? And so... How do you balance how much you put into it so that you get that response every time? Because you're not going to get it every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. I don't know, most of the time. Most times.
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah, This is pretty (laughs) (laughs) consistent.
2: Okay. Let's go ahead
1: and move on to the next question. Uh, So, our next question is How would you like to die versus how do you think you're going to die Uh, with the specification that you cannot say in your sleep? You can't just you say can't quietly sleep? in your
0: sleep like everybody. Yes. No.
2: Hmm, well, shoot. <laughs> Loudly in your
0: sleep. I don't know.
2: Because my my how would I want to die? I said laying in bed, taking a nap after a good meal. Does that count as just it's in your sleep? More specific than just in your sleep. OK. Imagine, you know, somebody's feeding you some hot soup. And you're so nourished and sustained, and then you just and then you just is there die choking on them? involved? Dr- no, <laughs> you drift off to sleep and never wake up. I mean, after a hot soup, it just seems like Wait, that sounds like quietly
0: you in your soup? sleep. To yeah, me.
2: somebody's feet. I mean, I'm old. Oh, I mean, old woman. And <laughs> okay. someone's feeding me this hot soup, and then I'm falling asleep and and crossing you're the drifting border. Drifting
0: off quietly in your sleep. Yes, yeah. that's
2: how I want to die. How do I think I'm going to die? Probably, you know, on one of my night excursions where I go to a river by myself and jump in in February and don't tell anybody where I'm going and then never come back You do that too? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, I know. I know. What do we do? The danger.
2: I know. It's bad. It's so cold.
3: Northwestern water.
2: One time, I did. I, off the mountain. I, I jumped into the Columbia River off of a dock in February a few years ago by myself. It was actually quite hard to j- to get back up on the dock. I bet. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's how people die. I. Yeah.
2: This is why. This is the question.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you. Do you want to die in the icy depths <laughs> of the Columbia River <laughs> by a, yourself alone? It yes. was a
2: cold baptism, and and my soul is better because it's of renewed. It. Yes. Who else? Anybody else? Hot soup death? Where, where are we at here?
3: Opposite. Um, ever since I read a book called Ice Core, Ooh. I thought that hypothermia would probably be the best oh. way to go. It's this book where this hacker who hacks into Fort Knox gets put in this prison in like the Arctic. Mm-hmm. And um, like I-, I can't remember if it's during an escape attempt or one of the guards is talking to him about what will happen if he tries to escape. But there's this really long... like. Uh, a discussion between two of the characters about what it would be like to try to escape and be like 30 miles into the blizzard and that like eventually the stinging just stops and you yeah. stop feeling cold and you just feel tired. Mm-hmm. You just and to cross you, that threshold. Yeah, once you cross the threshold and your body gives up on trying to keep you alive, it just stops telling you that you're cold and so all of a sudden you have this rush of warmth, you feel like you're tired, you lay down and you go to sleep.
1: Well, so not good,
3: so it kind of too. is going to going to <laughs> sleep and, and dying peacefully. But. Yeah. You know, there is some mental torture along the way. Now, how do I think I am actually going yeah, to die? How, how, how? Um, you know, I, okay. So <laughs> there, I could have died a bunch of times when I was a when I was a teenager. Um, I did a bunch of stuff where I could have, you know, just because I said to myself that I wasn't afraid of heights, could have ended with me being like, I was so wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, like in the in the theater like they have these these big metal battens that uh that fly in and out the set pieces and the drops and stuff and there was one point where i actually uh like climbed into no. the rigging and had my friend Like, fly me down onto the stage from above. And yeah, I could have died then. And you know, who knows? Maybe future Jared will do similarly stupid stuff. So you
0: want to die on stage (laughs) during the performance? (laughs)
3: That
0: sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right.
3: There was no paying audience, but they might have paid if they knew the danger was there.
2: (laughs) Yeah let's see it maybe it'll bring your magic back whoa let's bring a magic show back
3: holy cow there we really go. Dead. yeah i'm Dying laying on, on the stage. ground like all mangled and they're like the magic's about to start just hold on <laughs> wait a few minutes he's not dead he'll come back
2: everybody walks out quietly yeah. <laughs> okay um let's see krista what about
1: you how how do you want to die i don't know if cryosleep counts as sleep But it probably does. What if I just die in my cryo-sleep pod? Like, I'm one Mm. of those percentages that don't make it. And so I go in there. I have this, like, wonderful hope of a new world and these things. And then I just don't even miss it. Wow. (laughs) That's really a pretty good option. (laughs) I like it. Hers is,
3: like, mine. But there's, like, a possibility of, in the future, them reviving her.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. So, do you live, you know, in your mind afterlife in this ever state of waiting? You know, you're just like Ooh. waiting to be woken up, waiting to be woken up. Oh, because never mind, you're not supposed to dream in cryo sleep, but all the fiction stories say that people are t- have tortured dreams. It's true.
3: I cryosleep. was just listening to a podcast yesterday where somebody had a dream that all of us are in cryo sleep on like a giant spaceship Why going not? through space and that reincarnation is us having human lives beamed into our brains because our brains will atrophy if we're not like imagining human Brilliant. stuff and Makes so sense. yeah he like woke up climbed out of his pod was like looking out the window at like space and he was like oh my god i can't believe i forgot and he climbs back in his pod and wow wakes has up. another
2: human life yeah wow okay but what about how you actually will
1: die um I will probably notice symptoms and be like, that's fine. I don't want to think about that. And then.
3: <laughs> just ignore. Krista's got a, a terminal
2: illness she ignores, <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Your like tumor that. grows to the size of like your entire abdomen. I've been and, having it, these it overtakes and spots you. in my
3: vision and ringing in my ears. And I can't really process or remember what I did yesterday, <laughs> but I
2: think I'm fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and then one day you're just gone. I mean, yeah, I think this is realistic. <laughs> Shoot. We need to get her like a symptom journal or something so yeah. we can at least track what's going Daily on. Daily symptom check-in. Uh-huh. Definitely.
3: Krista, are you okay? No, n- no, not are you okay. Tell us how you're feeling. We'll tell you if you're okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Uh-huh. No, you don't want to hear how
2: I'm feeling. Oh, it's hard. That's oh. horrible. Of course we want to hear how you're feeling. <laughs> we'll we need to unpack that later. <laughs> Mark, uh, how do you want to die?
0: Have you seen Rogue One at the end when the planet's being destroyed? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we all go together. Mm-hmm. It's like whatever it is, like it's just going down. So
2: you just can't go by yourself. You're we taking everyone be, with you? We get you. to be together. <laughs> I'm not cool with that. The heck?
0: I, I, it's not like I push the button. I'm just saying.
2: If I have to go, we're all big going. Big wave
0: of fiery death coming. I can see it. I'm going to face it. There's nothing I can do about it. Taking what everyone better way with to, you. Like, I don't want to just slowly drift <laughs> and off. Then, it just seems, you know. I don't know Lazy for me Like I want to at least See it coming Like there it is This uh-huh. is happening Spoil- I've got 12 seconds uh-huh. You know it's, it's been nice Like it's that scene great. Of
2: don't look up Where Where you know The family's all Eating dinner together And the and the wave comes And yeah. everybody dies together Yes
3: I, I was literally gonna say The knowing mm. They're like holding each other Yes No Mark standing Out in the middle of the street Staring at the sun <laughs> Being like Take me <laughs>
0: Yeah <laughs> oh! I, I envisioned A little less Screaming with my death, but but that's okay. Jared probably is going to be there, well, too. Well, because Mark's, you're, you know, very
3: stoic. So, I, yeah, just... Uh, mm-hmm. Just yeah. here it comes, yeah, just, you know? Just die uh, without appreci- a word. I appreciate everybody
0: else's scream. I'm just going to watch other people screaming. Mm-hmm. That's how I want He's going to be die. watching me scream. I'm going to be running screaming. <laughs>
2: how are you actually going to die?
0: I, I think I'm going to be the first one not not to. Oh, my
3: god! <laughs> <laughs> what? Whatever, I believed it did. for a second. You're going to invent it? You guys, Whatever, dude. Way... Okay. Are you inventing it or do you just randomly have like the best friend who's like I invented immortality, let me try it on you. Just, you know?
2: So, so first of all,
1: <laughs> the way you want to die
2: is it can't just be you, you're taking everyone with you, but you actually think you're just not going to die. So it's uh, I this is not okay. We need to t- I'm going to schedule a counseling appointment right now for all of us. You too. We need to unpack a lot.
0: It's just, it's no, I was joking.
2: (laughs) No, that's it. That's all. You're cut off. That's my answer. Let's go on. I'm not doing it. cut off. Let's go on. (laughs) All right. We're getting hyped. We're getting ready. We're moving on to the main topic. Here we are. Main topic for today. Um, How does media portrayal of the type of artist or creative that you are affect people's perception of what you do, your own perception of what you do, and how you experience your job? Okay, this is kind of deep today. Um, media portrayal of the type of creative that you are. Um, Jared, do you feel comfortable going first? Sure. So let's talk about how does the media portray the type of creative that you are, and how does that affect you?
3: Well, first I want to talk about the type of creative that I wanted to be. Okay. When I was a child, I thought that I wanted to be like an inventor. Like Ooh. I wanted to make objects and stuff that would that would solve problems. Like Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, like Jimmy Neutron or, um, you know... Uh, uh, who's the guy from Robots, Rodney? Rodney Copperbottom, mm, yes. or um, or from uh, Meet the Robinsons? Yes. Um, yeah. All of these were like really awesome examples of uh, you know characters who could who were creatively solving the random mundane problems of their life, and when encou- and when they encountered bigger, more adult or like world shaking problems, they uh, they, they met them mm-hmm. with that same level of, like, enthusiasm and confidence as they did the stuff in their everyday life, and that, like, really, really inspired me to want to be a maker, want to be somebody who brought stuff into the world. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think, I think later on, as I sort of transitioned out of wanting to make things and sort of wanting to be a, a storyteller or a representer or s- somebody who could uh, translate uh, a feeling and experience from one person to another, uh, um... Then examples of creativity in media in things like Tick, Tick, Boom really, really affected me because...
2: Is Tick, Tick, Boom, is it a play? Is that what it is? Yeah, it
3: started as a play. It's really interesting. The the main guy, John Larson, uh, was a... um, a playwright. very prestigious playwright, and mm-hmm. uh, at the time uh, he had just finished writing this uh like musical about the future where everybody was obsessed with technology and everything, and he had spent eight years working on it, and it, it was it was finally complete, and he he uh, it, it was it satisfied his internal drive okay. and what was perfect to him, but uh, did not really amount to anything. So, it didn't result in the the agent. <laughs> Uh, you know, getting him the the gig, it didn't result in you know St- in Steven Sondheim doing what he needed for so him. So if we
2: put it in Crystal language, she thought it was shining, but nobody jumped out of their chair in celebration of
3: the Exactly, mm-hmm. and that and that his agent, and actually Steven Sondheim, who he was able to connect with during the whole part of the process, told him like, hey, listen, you know, your job is to make another one you know, this one, this one Another did not, play. exactly, mm-hmm. start start writing the next one, and that he he took that, and, because that wasn't his first failed play, he had written a couple others that, that didn't take off, and he then took that experience and made Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a play slash musical about the process of writing that that oh, sci-fi play so it's very cool you should check it out mm-hmm. um, but seeing the way that he is grappling with the uh, the weight of personal life versus the importance the internal importance of creativity where it's like I know that I'm here to make this and I'm supposed to bring it into the world and you are what's important to me as well but also you're telling me that I need to like reprioritize and shift these things mm-hmm. and and watching him go through or the actor's portrayal go through this very common struggle Struggle that artists and creatives have to go through is very uh, cathartic and makes and makes me feel seen.
2: Yeah, that makes really good sense. A lot of us, especially those of us with like young kids right now, are trying to be a creative with young kids. That's the struggle we have. How do you prioritize your projects and your internal knowing about your purpose with this other purpose that you also are responsible for? Yeah. It's So hard. Um, let's talk about the about the portrayal of artists in media. Krista, from your perspective, how has the portrayal of artists in media impacted you and your work and how people
1: expect you to be? Yeah, so I guess, I don't know, there weren't really kind of media portrayals that I remember influencing me from a young age. I was more influenced by like the things themselves, like mm. the like the creatures and, and, and light and things around me. Um, and that kind of was what I attached to. And then I had other like individual artists that I looked up to, but I, I think for me it wasn't as much media. And where the media came in was in how other people kind of reacted mm. to that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I hear a lot is this idea of like, you know, art coming from... Suffering and the artist being this kind of like, this like they're very tortured soul, exactly. Kind of. And mm-hmm. like, like, and and there's these these external factors or these external manifestations of things, like you know, being depressed or using blotting yourself out with these different like, substances. Yeah, substances are or... ways of just like ignoring your kind of internal thing and. I don't know I really don't I don't like that because I think a lot of the reason why you know you see some artists have that is because they are very sensitive perceptive people and that can be overwhelming Mm -hmm. and so you do have a few examples of artists who behave in that way and who who have those struggles and perhaps more than the general population because of that you know that sensitivity and things but I think that as a culture, like we like to latch on to those because they're dramatic and Mm -hmm. and they're, um, you know, they make a good story and then people think of that as what an artist is. Whereas I think that artists who have those struggles, like that is based on the internal, Mm -hmm. like it's based on, you know, being a perceptive feeling person in, in this world. And so I think that an artist is more powerful, more more of what makes them an artist when they don't focus on those externals, when they focus on the core as the reason for what they're, they're doing, and then those struggles become struggles rather than, I don't know, some kind of... Mm-hmm.
2: It's interesting because you're right. I think people like you who are artists, the reason you're good at what you do is because you see you really see things and you really observe things down to the detail, which means that you can't compartmentalize things the way that the general population does, you know. We go along this day knowing all of these these tr- Tragic truths about life and death and friendship and just compartmentalize them for a while and we just eat our avocado toast and we're doing fine. Whereas somebody like you, you can see all of that and it's it's part of how you make your art so well. Um, and, and I just got to call you out because you did say you were going to die from not, uh, you know, not paying attention to your own symptoms and you wouldn't talk about your feelings because you didn't want to share them. You thought I'd be afraid of them. So
0: well
1: definitely like I definitely feel like I definitely have those struggles to a very mm-hmm. strong degree. And I feel this desire to, you know, kind of blot out the experience. And like, these are things that that I go through, but I think that. Kind of glorifying the Mm. the the negative outcomes of that is the is the thing that I disagree with in media because we do go through these things like very strongly, Mm -hmm. but I think that when we really look into them and and lean into them and look at what is beneath them, then it's always just truth beneath them yeah it doesn't have to be self-destructive yeah Mm -hmm. and it's and it's not like a performative (coughs) facade Mm -hmm. and i don't think that young people should be trying to put on like a facade of of you know all these negative behaviors because it's it's not at the core
2: and It uh, won't necessarily serve your art. It's a,
1: yeah, it doesn't make you a good
2: artist mm-hmm. <laughs> to suffer to, to have to suffer
1: or to or to you know do these to drink yourself to wherever you mm-hmm. know.
2: Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, you're you're in a similar field from a design perspective. Do you feel like before you get into into maybe media's portrayal of your side? Do you feel like it's kind of hard to compartmentalize when you see things at such great detail as well?
0: I don't know inherently that we see things in greater detail than other people. I think I think the applications are different. I think the truth is always deeper and richer than the stereotype, right? Um, I think we train ourselves to look for different things than a lot of people in other verticals or other dif- you know different industries. But we just have a different muscle sets that we've built up right it's just what we've trained in the way that we've that we think and that's why I think in some ways it's so ridiculous for me to look at these stereotypes as creatives being extravagant and disorganized and they don't really have a real job but we kind of need them hanging around Um, (laughs) which is kind of what I've you know what I've noticed a lot not not always not everywhere
3: as like a general perspective or feelings that you're having?
0: No, like the media portrayals and the yeah. and the the stereotypes that you see in media about creatives is that they're very imprecise. Uh, or just very free spirited and like just kind of almost lost. Like they're just trying to figure out where they're going and what they're doing. And they're the just open to everything. the character introduction scene
3: is them just like running around the room and, and they're so out of it, but they've got so many things they're working on. You're just trying to nail them down to ask them a question. Yeah, or but they're, they're solving just, 20 problems.
0: Or they're always just getting high or you know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. like none of that is real. Like mm-hmm. I mean people in every walk of life can be like that and are like that. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways I feel like there was a point in my career where I had to, like, tell people, no, like, this is real, like, like, people need we need design, we need better communication, like this actually helps people communicate, and it affects your bottom line. And so from just broadly from creative perspective, like, creativity in the in the applications of creativity, like, I take very seriously, and, like, I see every day people are like, oh, I tell them what, what I do. And they're like, that must be so fun. You must just be <laughs> having, like, you're at Disneyland every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, like, go do your taxes. Does that feel like you're at Disneyland? <laughs> you know, and, and and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there is a perception. Like, I used to wear a T-shirt. Gosh, I'm trying to think of what it said. It says, um,
2: I draw pictures all day. I
0: draw pictures all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and thank you. And, and I mean that's that's the stereotype. Yeah, I make And so I wore pretty. that because it's uh-huh. so funny. Yeah. And and it's funny too because what what Krista was talking about, she's like talking about the struggle and the tortured soul and like, I have to get this thing out of me. Like there's something amazing the inside. The world needs this. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: healing the world. Is that really <laughs> is that really
0: kind of how it is? Uh-huh. I, I, it hasn't been that way for me. So. Um, I don't know. And, I, and then I, I also kind of just look at stereotypes of from every walk of life. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's every int- every attorney and every lawyer has you on the clock at $600 an hour. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. That's not true. Like when you have lawyers and you have attorneys, these people are talented. and Yes, they're expensive, but.
2: But they're people. The-
0: there's yeah there's richness and depth and stuff you just have to look further Mm -hmm.
2: I think it's interesting maybe from yours and my perspective where you're talking about you know people see creatives as this free spirit but then we have this this um, uh, this perpendicular thing happening where we're injecting entrepreneurship into creativity and so people don't often see this this intersection that's the word i was looking for this intersection of creativity and entrepreneurship where you really can't afford to be the free spirit creative that people might assume that you are because you've got people to pay um so it is very different than what people might think from the outside when they're imagining what life as a creative agency looks like
0: it's easy to to take sides too, like for a lot of my career I would I would be like well I don't want to go work at a boring insurance office right like that's just sitting in a cubicle like we joke around about that it's like the same thing from mm, the other side You're probably right and it's you know it's 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 not really a fair representation um, of what you know what that industry is about and and things like that so uh, yeah I don't know I I think the the big lesson for me is you know maybe we should just take a moment before we kind of um, don't give something its full due, and, and look at it for what it is, and maybe ask more questions.
3: Yeah, look at it for what it is. I'm really interested to get you guys as like visual artists' perspective on this thing that I heard from a, an art teacher in high school. She said, um, you know, when you're drawing an eye, don't draw what you think an eye looks like, because if you do that, then you'll draw a football, and then you'll draw two circles within each other, and then you'll draw some lines coming off the top. And that every And that we as humans very naturally compartmentalize and chunk things into into these concepts that are only as deep as they need to to be understood and that every individual thing has like so much more, more detail to be explored than just what it is when you look at it to understand it.
2: Yeah, like as opposed to pulling from the mental picture that you have, like really observing because the mental picture that you have of what you think something is a reduction. Is, absolutely. It has to be. Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I feel a sense of reduction um, from the way that media portrays people like me. Um, I was trying to think of like characters or any, any media portrayal I could think of, of, you know, a marketer, a social media person. And, and, you know, I was talking to Justin about it and uh, Legally Blonde came up to me. Legally Legally Blonde is not like, she's, she's not a marketer or an advertiser in there, but like it's. It's this same idea of like this almost girl boss thing where people are pretty and under respected for their intellect. And when they show up and do something, people are like, wow, they're actually kind of smart. Mm -hmm. Like the number of times that I've had somebody introduce, oh yes, let me introduce you to our marketing gal. She's actually pretty talented. Talking about other people in the I'm done with that. Mm -hmm. I am done with this concept of the marketing gal who you just pass tasks to who just she actually impresses you every once in a while. I can't. I can't with that. I'm always butting up against that. You're laughing because it's true. (laughs) Point of order. Yes.
3: Uh, Her first degree was fashion merchandising. So she was in marketing at the beginning Ah, of the story. Thank you. (laughs) Again, I really like Legally Blonde.
2: (laughs) It's a great movie. (laughs) Um, I I even then thought to, um, I, I was looking up female marketing or advertising characters in media, and I think back to the movie What Women Want, Helen Hunt in What Women Want, she was an incredibly talented advertiser coming up with these really great campaigns, but the whole movie, what's it about? her falling in love with this man who can read her thoughts. I mean I can't I can't like
3: in a magical way? Is he like a
2: Yes, he has he like got struck by lightning and Wait really? Yes, in the movie. And all of a sudden (laughs) he can read women's thoughts. Um and that's that's her character. So I find that that specifically women in marketing and advertising in the media are portrayed in a way that's the men are in charge coming up with the ideas. The women are doing the little twiddly work to get it done. Mm-hmm. And I butt up against that in my career. I have to put on, you see it when you and I go to like sales meetings, I put on this chest out, head up kind of facade because I have to. I have to be in charge of the rooms that I go into because if I'm not, I'm gonna to be told what to do over and over again. And that's not my position. That's not what people are bringing me in for. So I have to put on this this whole character um, and find the people who are the loudest in the room and knock them down as quickly as possible so that they understand that I'm not gonna be just told what to do. Um,
1: that's really interesting. Like you have to almost, Act, to meet the portrayal, yes. to be what people are, are expecting so that you can bring what you want to bring. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. In
3: order to get those big personalities to, you know, fall in line, you have to present as the type of personality that would make them fall in line.
1: Yes,
2: because on the inside, I'm a very soft person. You know, you get me on, on my own, and I'm a very soft, sweet person, but from a business perspective, I show up very uh, tough, I mean, I'm, I'm kind and I'm honest and I'm connecting with people, but I show up strong um, because I'm butting against this, this marketing gal concept all the time.
0: I think I just, I've seen that my whole career, by Mm -hmm. the way, Um, sexism is is one thing and probably a bigger topic, but also just people who are introverted um, have struggled um, to have their voice heard and to, and to command authority um which you what you really a lot of times get is an extrovert extroverted dominant type that gets all the attention and then ends up kind of <laughs> jerry <Jared coughs> feels called getting out over here, yeah extroverted and and dominant. he should um, <laughs> me too uh, and i and i think the ability to listen better for all of us i think is really important and to and to take time for the soft-spoken and you know the more perspectives we have, the the more information we have, and the better decisions we make, and so the more successful we are. So, it's really simple, an you know algorithm for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Got.
0: Two eyes, two nostrils, two ears, but only
3: one mouth. <laughs> so we should be doing more with the rest, right? Unless you oh. have multiple dad.
2: mouths. So what you're saying is I should walk into a room and sniff a little more often?
3: You know, you might. What if you detect a deadly poison? <laughs> but you were going to go off on some tirade, and so you would missed it. You're always
0: sniffing for food anyway. <laughs> what do you know about it? I, All the things. You don't. Welcome back, Justin.
2: Hi. <laughs> You're not allowed to you're not allowed to talk to him, Address in the him. Like I this.
0: did though. <laughs> what the hell you was that went, got about? himself a beverage. <laughs> <laughs>
3: the audience is beyond the fourth wall. What are you talking about, Mark?
2: Jared, are there any more pieces? I feel like from from an actor's perspective, there's so much media portrayal of of actors and
3: Well, I mean, like yeah, culturally people have had this weird thing about actors for a long time in ancient Egypt. Uh, actors weren't allowed to testify in court because they were considered professional liars. (laughs) Um, How
2: interesting.
3: And, you know, it it, it is interesting because there there is kind of this media portrayal that, like, an actor is this, like, sociopathic blank, like, blank canvas that will put on whatever personality they want or, like, when they're in the room, they're only caring about their own personal career and so they're being the schmoozer trying to learn everybody's names and say their names back to people and trying to ascend the social ladder just so that they can, like, get the role that they wanted. Um, and so yeah, I, I do feel like I have to personally uh, butt up against the the portrayal of this kind of um, apathetic, uh, not emotionless but self-centered um, uh, actor that's portrayed generally?
2: Mm-hmm. as as a whole here, do we feel like the the media portrayal and the kind of expected persona of what our, our creative fields what people perceive that to be do you feel like you have to live up to that sometimes does it affect how you behave in your own career Mm -hmm. I have felt like it does for me but but what about for the rest of you do you feel like it it actually affects the way you show up to your to your job in your
1: career I don't think so like I think the portrayal that I was talking about earlier it kind of takes like there's a core of truth to it as in many like it's like it's identifying something that is is there but then it's sensationalizing it and it's focusing on the exterior on Mm -hmm. the on the you know the way it looks to people the kind of performative or or whatever it's trying to make a a good story out of it um and I think that for me just the the heart and the core of what I do is already there Mm -hmm. and so I don't really feel like that external like that I don't feel the need for that kind of performative thing because I know that art at the, the heart of what I'm doing, like, that's the core of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, like, hearing what you say, I, I feel like that, that's something that I'm very lucky in this position to be able to have is to be able to express that core without having to put on the, the shell. Mm-hmm. But that comes probably from, you know, being in a
2: scenario, in a situation, in a team where your work is really respected, because that's not always the truth for yeah. for artists. And that, you know, that's something that gives you the privilege to show up as you are, because you have a small team that really respects you as an individual.
1: Definitely. Mm-hmm.
2: That's probably pretty key. Anytime we show up into <clears throat> larger organizations where you're more of a cog than you are an, an individual, I think it's much easier to fall into these uh, these roles and these expected norms of behavior
3: like you have to mask and shield up until you know that other people value
2: you yes mm-hmm.
0: but you don't have to hmm. that's the truth you don't have to do that um, I don't feel that you have to do that you can you can be true and you can educate people I feel a burden of responsibility when we talk about these things to kind of buck those trends and buck those stereotypes because they're shallow um doesn't mean that everything has to be super deep and you know or anything like that but you know the, the feeling that you have to conform in some way for someone else's benefit is the thing that holds us back in many cases and so i don't i don't i no longer identify with that and i have gone through a lot of that in my career and probably still do uh, often especially as a business leader um I meet with a lot of other business owners and stuff like that. And, um, there is kind of this draw, this magnetism to, to act a certain way or to do a certain thing. And some of it I think is appropriate. And a lot of it I don't think is appropriate. So uh, I like
2: your perspective, just the concept that you don't have to, um, you do have a unique perspective on that though, because you have basically run your own business almost your whole life. And, and not many people have done that and had the opportunity to show up as they are and set up an environment where others can show up as they are.
0: And a lot of these, I'm just older too. And I, you know, I, a lot of these things, you know, I was told the other day from somebody I respect, you know, wisdom comes gradually. You know, you can't just go seek it and hunt it and bring it home. It just comes gradually. And so a lot of these things you learn and most of the things I've learned, I've learned the hard way um, through failure and whatnot or watching other people fail. And I I just, you know, one of the biggest lies I think we face is that we have to be something that we're not to perform. Like there's expectations around roles and responsibilities and, Oh, you want to be an artist? Then you need to do these things. Well, no, you don't necessarily have to, you can do it like other people haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, I think grabbing that information and getting that perspective is helpful. And a lot of times people can steer you in the right direction. Um, But the true right path is yours to find and go down. And, and so as, as, as a creative agency and a company, one of the things that I try really hard to do, and I probably fail half the time, but is to give everybody some agency over what they're doing, right? Like I don't micromanage people, or if I do, I try to, I try to not do that so that they can have their fingerprint on the work that they're doing all, all of us. And, and even just, you know, our community, like we want to inspire people to do that too. We have so much to offer and it just, it, it'll, it'll, It'll inspire us to do more of that, and and we'll all be more inspired, and so we'll end up doing more, and it'll beget more of that. So mm-hmm. I don't know, Orange That's Nebula,
3: inspiring begets inspiring,
0: exactly, exactly.
2: <laughs> the inspire spiral, <laughs>
0: <laughs> the inspiral Yeah, there we go. I knew Whoa. it was close. <laughs> Uzamaki. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, thank you three so much for sitting with me for a while. And um, my favorite part of today was learning how you all want to die. Um, <laughs> and I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> uh, if you have any wow. ideas about what uh, we should be talking about, go to orange dot com slash topics and give us some good ideas. If you enjoy our content, tell us about it. Leave us a review. If you don't leave us alone. It's it's just rude. OK. Um, we love you. Stay inspired, keep making things, and we will do the same. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Goodbye.
2: I hope someday you go back to being a magician.
3: <laughs> you know?
2: I knows? loved when you were a magician. <laughs>